0: For our scripture reading this morning, we're going to turn to Psalm 10. So let me read Psalm 10, verses 1 through 18, and then we'll turn to its study. Beginning to read with verse 1. Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide in times of trouble? The wicked in his pride persecutes the poor. Let them be caught in the plots which they have devised. For the wicked boasts of his heart's desires. He blesses the greedy and renounces the Lord. The wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. His ways are always prospering. Your judgments are far above, out of his sight. As for all his enemies, he sneers at them. He has said in his heart, I shall not be moved. I shall never be in adversity. His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue is trouble and iniquity. He sits in the lurking places of the villages. In the secret places he murders the innocent. His eyes are secretly fixed on the helpless. He lies in wait secretly as a lion in his den. He waits in wait to catch the poor. He catches the poor when he draws him into his net. So he crouches. He lies low, that the helpless may fall by his strength. He has said in his heart, God has forgotten. He hides his face. He will never see. Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand. Do not forget the humble. Why do the wicked renounce renounce God? He has said in his heart, you will not require an account. But you have seen, for you observe trouble and grief to repay it by your hand. The helpless commits himself to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Seek out his wickedness until you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations have perished out of his land. Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will prepare their heart. You will cause your heart to, to hear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, that the man of the, of, the earth, of the earth may oppress no more. May God's blessings be upon this word unto us. Let's pray for a moment. Our Father and our God, we pray that you would help us to understand and apply this word to our lives today as we wake up in our homes and then go forth into the world to make our way. We see this case too often. We pray that we would have a better understanding of it from these words, and that you would encourage us by it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when I thought of preaching about this, uh, reading the text, I I thought, well, I I could preach on the surprise that this is to believers. That's more the the sense of the text on this, but I thought I would I would look at the text in a more holistic way, in terms of, of uh, what God's intention is by this text, and uh, and the strength that it can bring to us. So I, I gave it the title, uh, Sin, Satan's Stupidity, which is uh, sort of an application, really, of the text. If you understand the text, then you'd say, well, if this is so, then Satan really is stupid. So I'm, I'm sort of starting with the conclusion Giving that giving that the, the cast of the whole psalm. And I thought it would be good for us to study Satan's stupidity. Because it would be encouraging to us. Because it just seems like Satan is so active and so free in this world. And it seems, that, if anything, sometimes the theme, that the believer is stupid for for following the God's ways. That's what Psalm 73 says. Then the psalmist says, I, "I when I thought about how... Evil the world isn't how evil seems to prosper. I wondered, am I, am I wasting my time? Have I, have I done all of these things in faith wrongly or, or stupidly? So it's, it's important for us to understand that, given the things as they are, that Satan is stupid and not us. That Satan is the one who has the problem, not us. We have some problems, but they are nothing like the problems of the evil one who opposes is the adversary of the living God and especially his Christ. Now given this theme, I was really encouraged to see that Stephen last week preached on the Psalm 97:10, "You who love God hate evil. I thought, well, this is a good one-two punch. Um, you who hate the Lord hate evil. And I'm, I'm sure that part of his thinking was that a lot of people today want to want to love the Lord. But they don't want They don't really wanna, really want to give themselves to hate and evil. They think that half of it is good enough. They they can be good Christian witnesses if they just if they just love God. But, the, but he brought to you the text. You who love God, hate evil. And if we hate evil, then we ought to we ought to not let it get us uh, upset to the point where we're undone. We ought to count. We ought to consider the words of Psalm ten. Now, in terms of Satan's stupidity, I have four arguments here. And I, I, I indulged, uh, Stephen always gives you an outline in the bulletin, you know. And, and so I indulged that, I, him coming back, that it wouldn't be too much of a shock to hear me for the first time in a while. And give him four points. Uh, and so, but they're all, they're all, these are all four good points that arise out of this psalm. The first one is that there is a God, and uh, he, he has a son. In other words, um, when we think of becoming discouraged and when we when we hear the psalm begin, Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide in times of trouble? The wicked in his pride persecutes the poor. Uh, for the wicked boasts of his heart's desire. He blesses the greedy and renounces the Lord. When we think of this, and we're tempted to go along with it or we're tempted not to see the situation as it is, the very first thing that should come to our minds is the context of this psalm. This psalm is a psalm given to us by God who exists. It's given to his people whom he has called out of the lands, out of the east and the west and the north and the south. God exists. And so when we think of the difficulties of our case, we think of the, the uh, ineptitude sometimes of our trajectory here in this world where instead of being up, it seems like we're cast down. As we think of these things, the very first thing that we ought to think of is, but God exists, God is real. How can we be cast down? How can you be cast down, O oh my soul, one of the Psalms says. Because God exists, because God is there. And even without remembering a single verse of Scripture at that point, it's immediately encouraging to know that that the, the remedy of our discouragement lies with the the real existence of the God who was there, as Francis Schaeffer titled one of his famous books, the God who was there. So as the the psalmist asks this question, it seems to the psalmist in this case that God is afar off. It seems as if God has forgotten his people. But even in asking the question, even in framing the question, you see, he's framing it in the context of the existence of God. And the moment you you think of that context, the moment you're helped a bit by it. Uh, we see in, in verse 1, why do you stand afar off, O Lord? So the existence of God, of God is not, uh, not in question. It's just he doesn't perceive the Lord as sharply as he might like. It seems like God is more distant than he might like. Verse 12, uh, he says, arise, O Lord, so... After he makes his complaint, he calls upon the Lord with faith and with strength. Arise, O Lord. He's not not asking the Lord to arise because he's a wimpy God or because he has no strength or because he just hopes that God will help feel sorry for his situation. No, he calls upon the Lord because the Lord is strong, because the Lord is Lord, because he's almighty. And so when we are tempted to discouragement, we need to remember the context of the song. that that God is there, and uh, he asks in verse thirteen, why do the, why do the wicked renounce God? He he uh, he knows that they do, but he asks the question, why do they do it? How, it it's not logical. It's not it, when you consider the deity of God, the strength of God, the might of God, the omniscience of God, the omnipresence of God, the almightiness of God. When you consider the attributes of God. All of his excellencies, and you say, "Why, why in the world would Satan throw himself and cast himself against the Lord?" And then, on top of that, we think we think that God is not alone in His manifestation of Himself. God has revealed Himself in His Son Jesus Christ. So, in order to be forlorn, in order to give up, in order to be totally discouraged. You have to look at the, all that Jesus has accomplished, and you have to you have to look Jesus in the face and say, you know what you've done is, you know it might be nice in a novel, but it's just not real. How can we do that? How can we dare bring ourselves to be or to repudiate in any sense or any degree Jesus Christ and what He has done, His mighty mission. That's what Satan has to do. Can you believe the stupidity of Satan to, to not acknowledge the Lord as he is, the, he, the Lord who can be seen in the things that he has made, Romans 1 says, and then the, the, the Father who has sent his only begotten Son to repudiate the Son. Uh, Satan, uh, Satan could not, as they say sometimes in athletics, Satan could not tie Jesus' sneakers. You know, in other words, Jesus is so worthy that it it would be way above Satan to even tie the sneakers or to tie the shoes of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has done nothing. The only only thing, the only reason that Satan has any grounds for pride at all is that he was created by Almighty God. And he was created as an angelic creature. And the angelic creatures have some beauty to themselves in and of their creation. But what has he done with that? He squandered all of his riches. All the riches of mental understanding. All the riches of purity that he once had. He squandered all of that. And instead he stood up against the God who was there and against the only begotten Son. How abjectly wicked and stupid can you be? And that's the that is the, the Satan who has inspired these people that have rebelled against the Lord and persecuted His people in Psalm ten. So, for the first point is that that Satan is stupid because there is a God, and how can how can Satan set himself against such a superior being and against his son, his son? Secondly, um, God sees this. And his people can complain. You know, it might be one thing if God couldn't see the rebellion. You know, if God was insensible or something like that. And he just, his people were out there getting beat up and martyred, driven here and there. And God somehow was like a a senile old person who didn't really understand the things that were going on. But that's not the way it is. And this psalm proves to us that God does see that he does understand because the verses are virtually a litany. He goes down through and he he reviews the things that he sees. Um, uh, in verse 14 and 15, it says this um, uh, exactly. He says, but you have seen, for you observe trouble and grief to repay it by your hand. The helpless commits himself to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and the evil man seek out his wickedness until you find none, in other words, none remaining. So that's the direct statement of the psalm, but then in verse 3, he says he sees the, the wicked and his pride persecutes the poor. So he sees the pride of the, of the wicked. Verse 3, he says the wicked boasts of their heart's desire. God sees. These stupid creatures, these impudent creatures, he sees them boasting in their wickedness, in their in their weakness, the weakness of their sin. He sees them boasting of uh, whatever. It's 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 mindless. It's mind boggling. Uh, God in verse three b, he sees them bless the wicked, blessing the greedy, and renouncing the Lord. Uh, in verse 4, he says, he, he, their countenance, their face does not seek the Lord. He sees that. He sees their faces. He sees their faces and how their faces instinctively move away. They do not seek the Lord. He's, in verse 5, he says, his, way, his ways are always prospering. He sees how the wicked prosper. He sees it. It's not outside his purview. And he sees verse 5b, that his enemies sneer at him and the people of God. Um, he sees in verse six. He says he sees them saying, "I shall never be in adversity." You know, like I think if you think of Hugh Hefner publishing his a uh, Playboy magazine. I mean, he did that for years and years. Did the guy not fear that every issue that he got published, that every success of his hand was going to be another nail in his coffin, another reason for his eternal perdition? eternal judgment but they they say no i'll never this will never happen to me i'm flying high Uh, this is the good life." his mouth verse seven is full of cursing deceit and oppression does that not summarize perfectly the mindset the mouth of all of those who set themselves against the lord I don't think you yourself, if you had, if you were to write down, sit down and write a little essay, that you could do any better than this. That God has, and it's because God sees it. He says, he says in verse eight, he sees them in lurking in places of the villages in the secret places. He murders the innocent. Uh, his eyes are secretly fixed in the helpless. You know, people that smile at you, and uh, and the, even if they smile at you, they think they're thinking, I think I can process this guy or this this woman pretty easily. I can I can make hay with them, you know. I can take advantage of them. I can make my profit on them. And so, uh, verse ten, he crouches to, to catch the the um, the low and heart, hard uh, like an animal, like a lion. He crouches and uh, um, like like they might walk by his lair, and he would charge out and, and consume them. He said in his heart, verse eleven. The, the, God knows not only what people have done, but he knows what they're thinking. He sees through us. So he, he sees the person who said in his heart, God is forgotten. He hides his face he will never see. Um, and so the psalm is a perfect summary of all that God sees. Are people not, are a Satan not stupid? and Are people not stupid? Because they, they don't think that God sees all that they're doing? And the, the other thing is then, from, uh, arising from this, is that God's people can complain. This psalm is a complaint <clears throat> to the Lord. That the Lord might intervene. That the Lord might take action. And so, how, how, how stupid can it be when God can see and when God's people can cry out how, how, how can it be that, that they would not see that or not think about that as they, they sustain their rebellion against the Lord? The third point here is that God has already declared his decree and rendered his verdict. We see that in verse 12 uh, where, God, where the, the psalmist cries out, Arise, O Lord, lift up your hand. Uh, he does this because God has promised again and again in his word that he would not let evil survive, that he would not let evil triumph, and that he would be there for his people. And in Psalm 2, he says this specifically, uh, where in in the sixth verse, this is, a psalm that considers the rebellion of the people. Why do the nations rage against me? Why do the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds and cast away their courts from us. Well, God says there in verse 6, yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. So we see here that that God has already declared the decree that his son would be um, um, not only sufficient, but triumphant over the whole rebellious world, over the whole rebellion that started in the Garden of Eden. It's a done deal. Our Lord has already made a covenant, part of the eternal covenant of grace, to save his people and then to destroy all of those who stand against his son the son who is the ascendant king that's spoken of in Psalm 110 and 1 Corinthians 11 uh, uh, the, the the resurrection chapter of the New Testament so God has already declared this he's already said that this is what would come to pass so it's not as if it's not as if the 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 game, the outcome of the game, is in question. The, even though the game is being played out, the the outcome has already been predetermined. So the, pe- the people of God ought to be tremendously uh, encouraged by this. It's like you're playing football and you have a down where you're thrown back and you don't you know you don't make any progress. You don't make a first down. Well people of God, this happens to the people of God often, but it's it's not time for them to say, oh, I quit the game, I'm going to leave, I'm going to go home. Because we know that the game is going to come out in God's favor. Thy will be done, Thy, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Has God's kingdom, does Satan have any part of heaven right now? Does Satan have any victory in heaven? Well, the Lord's prayer teaches us that we we should pray that that his kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven right now. So that we don't give up on the earth. We don't give up on the creation. God is not going to fail in any one of the determinations that have come from his hand. He created the earth. He's going to bring it to consummation. Yes, there's been a rebellion there, but he is going to wrap up that rebellion and he's going to put it And Satan's face, and forevermore Satan is going to be uh, despised under the judgment of God. And he will not be able to move in terms of any efficacy under the Lord's judgment. The third point here, then, is that God has already provided his people with a song about this. Now you think about that. We have songs for this and that. We have anthems for our nation for celebrating our uh, the fact that God has blessed us as a nation given us this and that. And even the pagan nations have songs. Uh, We have songs to celebrate the different victories in our lives love and accomplishment and these kinds of things. And when we make up a song about something it's a way of giving it in permanency, of celebrating it in a, by the way that we sing about it. And so, in this case, God has given us a song to sing when we find ourselves in these difficult circumstances where we find that we're not prospering amazingly. And some things have gone wrong for us when it seems like the evildoers are prosperous and we are in peril. God has given us a song for that. So this should indicate to us, God is not surprised by these things. These things, uh, the negative providences of life, the the uh, the activity of Satan in this world, didn't, doesn't unsettle the Lord, it didn't surprise him. When he set us loose and redeemed us in this world, he gave us a song to sing. And we sang Psalm 11, just before the service, or sermon. Uh, uh, on the same thing, there are many of the songs that, that, are, are, that are set to music and uh, uh, encourage us to realize that we are not alone, that we're not bereft, we're not destitute. Our situation is something that God has already written a song about. And He says, you know, go sing the song and be encouraged. The Gospel of John Jesus said, Be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. See, when God gives us these kinds of scriptures and these kinds of songs, he wants us to be encouraged by knowing that he's not surprised by these things. And I just love the idea that he's given us songs to sing about these things. Think of some of the the World Cup just ended in, uh, in Europe, and the different nations of the world have played soccer against each other and very often if they played they they have these national songs that they would sing to encourage their half or their side they're they're all all singing in the stadium they have a song to sing because they are encouraged so God gives us a song to sing and he would not have us discouraged be encouraged be of good cheer for I have overcome the world He's done this mainly in Jesus Christ. I mean, there's no greater victory that we have than the victory of the Son. And we can study that. We can look at it. We can look at how bad it looked. We can see its outcome. We can see the joy of it. We can see in in the book of Revelation how there are songs that are sung, the marriage supper of the Lamb, where the Lamb and all of his work, all of his work of redemption is celebrated. We rejoice over it. So, let us, in this day, take the songs that God has given us to sing. Let us sing them, let us be encouraged. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you so much that you have given us portions of scripture like this that help us to know that you have not been surprised by these things. We may be, because of our lack of insight, because of our short our short thinking, um, the shortcomings of our thinking, the inability of our minds to grasp the whole of any given situation at one time. But we pray that our perspective might be enlightened and might be enlarged by seeing such psalms as Psalm ten. Help us, O Lord, to see that you are King forever and ever and that the nations have perished uh, out of his land. We pray, O Lord, that you would hear the desire of the humble. We pray, especially in our day, where we see evil flourishing. It's much easier for us to see uh, participants of other religions in the grocery store than it is for us to see other Calvinists or other people that understand that thou art almighty and sovereign. Oh God, we wonder what will become of us. It seems like the evil of our day is spreading faster than the righteousness. And so we come to thee and we pray that the answers of this psalm might be ours, that we might take heart, and that in the face of Satan and his evil demonstrations, that we might be of good cheer, that we might be of good heart, that we might have that attitude amongst us, Uh, that is above we pray that we would that you would help us to set our minds on the things which are above where everything is already settled that we might be greater agents here in this world of bringing thy gospel and thy kingdom to pass in jesus name we pray